Welcome to the Harrington Star FinTech Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Discussions. I want to showcase people across our industry who are advocates for change. I love to celebrate the wins, but we know there is so much more to be done to ensure that change actually happens to build a truly inclusive industry. In these diversity, equity and inclusion discussions, I have a number of series. The Humans of FinTech, the Talent Surgery, the Maternity and Paternity Stories, and the longest running of all, the Women of FinTech podcast series. I do lots of work to drive change campaigns across our industry to increase inclusion within the workplace. So please contact me to see how we can partner together. You can contact me through LinkedIn or on my email, nadia.edwards-dashdi at harringtonstar.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire industry. Today, we are joined by Elizabeth Lumley, Tech and Transaction Banking at The Banker, part of the Financial Times. She is internationally recognized as one of the leading voices in fintech and banking technology innovation. For 20 plus years, she has been a global specialist commentator on services, regulations, risk, data, and technology in investment, retail, and global transaction banking. So she is here today, and she's going to share her story and some of the lessons along the way. Elizabeth, welcome. It's brilliant to have you here. Hello. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Thank you. So tell us a bit about your current role and what that actually looks like. Sure. So I'm the uh, technology and transaction banking editor at The Banker magazine. So in a few years, I think it will be celebrating its 100th anniversary. So what I do is I cover transaction banking worlds uh, so commercial banking, corporate banking, so treasuries and money, uh, payments, transfer, securities processing, um, and also technology for all parts of the bank. So retail and investment banking and sort of, you know, the whole sort of fintech revolution that we've been in um, over the past decade covering that as well. And can you tell us a bit more about your career journey? Because there's so many people that listen to this that love to sort of hark back to how did you get to where you got to now? So it'd be great to hear that career journey. And of course, some of the biggest lessons along the way. Sure. I mean, ultimately, a long time ago, I mean, I wanted to be a journalist since I was like nine years old. And um, that's what I, I was determined to be. And so I answered an ad in the New York Times in the 90s, which, you know, the only word I saw on it was reporter, but it was covering a publication called Inside Market Data, which is covering um, real-time market data use in investment banks. So I had absolutely no idea, like, even what a stock was or anything like that. So I went went to New York and interviewed, and they hired me, and um, it was a very steep learning curve. It was very funny. I had a few mentors at the time that advised me to never stay at like one place for more than two years and never try and stay on one topic for more than two years. But I joined Inside Market Data in October 1994, where we it used to be called financial information technology, even though we use the term fintech in the office. Um, and I just ended up staying in this industry for my entire career since the early 90s. So yes, I'm a, I'm a hardcore financial technology person. That's basically how I started. So for most of my career, I was a journalist uh, and an analyst. And I had a few sort of side things on the way. I mean, for example, for the past six years before I joined the banker, um, I left journalism. I was at Finextra for seven years. 
where I built up their video and multimedia business. Um, and I kind of left to be managing director of Startup Bootcamp Fintech, which was a startup accelerator for tech startups, for fintech startups when that ran. And I was part of a company that put together and founded the Fintech Talents Festival. And during the pandemic, I just had an urging to go back to my roots and to where, where I feel at home and to go back to journalism. So uh, that's when I joined the banker this summer. Wow, so you've come full circle, right right back to journalism. (laughs) It's so interesting to hear, you know, what your mentors said about, you know, moving on every two years. But actually, you know, you've stayed within within the same stream and really become an expert because you have branched out within it. No, yeah, very much. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really good. I kind of, you know, my, the nine-year-old girl in me wanted to have a column in the New York Times or, you know, be on the news, but, you know, financial technology and banking, it's, it's taken me all over the world. I've always had a job somewhere. So I think, you know, what, what's happened to journalism over the past 30 years, it's very difficult to be a generalist. People want to hire you with, if you know about a, a specific topic. So I think I kind of strangely, I mean, it, this wasn't sort of like any deep plan that I wrote, you know, right down. It was, it was kind of meandering and, and back and, you know, taking things um, as, as they came. But um, yeah, no, I just, I ended up, I mean, I liked the industry as well. In university, I wanted to cover politics. I think I probably would have been a pretty rubbish politics reporter because I, yeah. I don't think I could have kept my bias out of it by a few things. Um, but it's been really interesting to cover banking and cover technology and to see that whole world. But yeah, no, it's been, it's really been kind of a fascinating topic to mm. have been immersed myself in. And hasn't it evolved over the years? There's been mm. so much change. So tell us a bit about your thoughts around financial inclusion, because we've spoken before about the power imbalance around that. And I'd love for you to share your thoughts with the audience. Well, I'm the child of school teachers. And, you know, there are lots of occupations that get rightfully so, you know, um, celebrated in this world. If you're a doctor or a teacher or a nurse, and especially right now during COVID, you know, we all salute the NHS. And then there are, of course, occupations that get demonized a bit, which, you know, which is really journalism and banking, also for, you know, very understandable reasons. But secure regulated bank accounts, to me, are a cornerstone of civilization. And they get denied to billions of people around the world. And a large percentage of those people are women. You know, not having access and control over your money is a form of power. It's a form of control. I mean, that's why it's denied people. And sort of having that formal banking structure and having access to it and having control of it is a big deal. So I think ignore all the Hollywood films about horrible people on Wall Street. Banking is a huge, huge industry. And understanding that your money is safe um, and that you can have access to it um, and then you can stop other people from having access to it and you control it is is a big deal. And I think sometimes it, it, that gets lost with a lot of people, um, especially men, you know, who don't understand that that this has been denied a lot of people and, and most of those people are women and people who are poor. So I think banking has a huge role. I mean, anything money, money is power. Money is freedom. You know, money doesn't buy you happiness, but there's a big difference between knowing your mortgage is going to be paid every month and you'll have food on the table and Santa Claus comes to your house every year. That's a big deal. And that changes a lot of people's lives. And the banking industry supports that as a service. And I think some of the best bankers in the world are are people that understand that they are supporting people's lives. 
I think it's so important that you, you explain that the way that you have, because it's almost like a reframing of what banking is. And you know, this is a mission that I'm currently on from my perspective as a recruiter within this space, because the perception of the fintech world and the perception of the banking world, as you said, you know, what we see in the films and it's often demonized. But what we're actually trying to do here is to shift a power imbalance and to, mm-hmm. to share and give fairness worldwide and give people choices and options and security. And, you know, we could go on and on. I think it's brilliant the way that you explain that just to open people's eyes to the reframing of the potential mm-hmm. rather than what we assume it to be. Now, you've also shared some experiences with me around, you know, how only one generation ago, um, <laughs> you know, there were so many things that were different and the speed of change that you've witnessed. Tell us more. I think a lot of people, especially first world countries like Great Britain and the United States and from the United States, forget how you get a bit complacent on how the world is today. So my my mother, I know I'm the child of school teachers, but my mother was actually um, assistant head of operations at Boston Trust and Guarantee Bank in the 60s and 70s. I often give talks where I say, if you want to know why my mother never became head of operations at the Trust Bank, you're basically listening to the reason right now why that never happened. It was the early 70s. But my father was a school teacher and my mother made more money than him. She was on her way to become an officer at a bank. But when she went and applied for a credit card, my dad had to go in and co-sign for her. And the credit card said my dad's name on it instead of hers. And you think that's not a small thing, but that's a big thing. Not like not understanding. That's what I mean that, you know, access to that, access to your own money that you're being denied, that that's just one generation ago. My, my mother's 78 years, she's, this today's her birthday, actually. Um, <laughs> she's 78 Happy years birthday old. to mommy birthday. <laughs> It's uh, It was not that long ago that that happened. And if you get pregnant, guess what? You are then leaving your job as well. Um, so I think a lot of people kind of forget that it was not that long ago that these things happened. And we need to understand the power of, especially in the terms of in terms of banking about what that means to control your own money and not have to ask permission or get your dad or your father to co-sign something for you uh, just because you want a credit card yeah absolutely and you know look this podcast series is very very much about what can we what can we do what should we be doing how can we all play our part for this so my last question to you is what do you think is next for inclusion in fintech and financial services and, and how can people get involved and how should they get involved? One of the things that, that's interesting, being spending a lot of time with journalism, where there are a lot of women that work in journalism and actually incumbent banks and legacy banks, I think, because they've got a lot of regulations looking at them and have a, have a lot of women in positions of authority. Um, they have a lot of campaigns around it. It's the startup fintech space that is really not doing a very good job at all. I thought I had experienced sexism and misogyny before I joined the startup world at Startup Bootcamp, but I had no idea how bad it could be and not subtle either. I've been told on several occasions that there are no such thing as female founders. They don't exist. I've been told women shouldn't be trusted to found companies. This has been said to my face and you're sitting there and and other women have had it worse. You know, I've, I've heard stories of women If you're a startup founder and you're looking to raise funds and you're between the ages of 25 and 40, you'll be asked about your fertility and whether you plan on having children. That needs to change immediately. And there's a huge condescension. I know I'm, I'm talking, there's a lot more to diversity than gender 
than gender parity. But you know, I, I, I'm a woman. This is the only you know, I'm a white woman. Uh, this is this is the part that I I understand. You know, there was a recent campaign that Revolut put out, for example, which was you would get five pounds worth of uh, tampons and uh, menstrual pad money a month if you were a metal card user. So, of course, to be a metal card user, you have to you pay twelve. 99 a month to have that metal card user anyway. And it was just so, my friend Harriet Alder wrote in PR Week this week around the campaign, which is kind of the pink washing and the condescension towards women. And the campaign was just so incredibly ridiculous and ill thought out. There was a whole infographic about women spending money on essential things like chocolate and wine and tampons. <laughs> and it was, it, it, you could just see it was because there are no women there. You know, there, there are no women to sit there and look at that and go, what the hell is going on? Um, or if, if there are women there, they don't feel empowered enough to speak up and say, this is wrong. This is ridiculous. This is not funny. This is condescending. And of course, Revolut have one of the worst gender pay gaps in the fintech world. So whenever people ask me, you know, what to do about it, my answers are always very clear. Fund women hire women, promote women and black people and people that didn't go to that school that you, that you did, people that don't have the same accent as you, hire those people. Just do it. Stop the discussion because I'm really tired of the discussion right now. You know, if you look around your founding team or your senior team and you see all white men, that to me is a red flag. There is something wrong. And if you can look me in the face, and I know there are people who would do this, look me in the face and say, these are the best people. You own that, you know, <laughs> good luck to you, dude, because the world is changing very fast and you're going to be left behind. Well, I think that is, that's really, really, that's made all that the hairs on my back stand on end. I couldn't <laughs> agree with you more. I think that's a wonderful way to draw this podcast to a close. I couldn't have said it better myself. We need to shake ourselves on this topic. Mm. Let's get moving. Let's have the action just stop making the excuses and, and yeah. do exactly what you said there. Hire more women, promote more women, fund women, have people of all sorts of backgrounds in the conversation so we have all of the opinions in the room. It's like yeah. the, you know that story that's come back up on social media about NASA sending a woman to space with 100 tampons for five days. Like, <laughs> like, like, oh my gosh. So there wasn't one woman in that decision-making room. You know, ridiculous. Yeah. Or, in the middle of the pandemic um, here, here in the UK, the government put out a, uh, a work from home poster that depicted women uh, scrubbing the floor, feeding the family um, and cleaning <laughs> windows. That, that's yes, what the women were doing. You know, again, you know, I mean, I, I'm actually like, I, I'm done with sort of arguing with people now. Like I don't debate people anymore. It's just like, I'm done. I'm not going to argue these ridiculous things. But the one thing someone asked me a few years ago about why have diversity, if, if your team works fine and the product works fine and the company's making money, like what's the point, right? And the story I always tell is, I don't know if you read Invisible Women, um, yep. which came out. Yeah, so did you see this? Remember the story in the beginning about the paleontologist research group at a university yep. that had the bone with 28 notches on it. Do you remember that story? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so who put that calendar together and why? Yeah, no, they knew it was a calendar, but they didn't know why. They didn't know what it mm. was. They didn't know what it was counting. And what killed me about the story was this, like, they had this bone for, like, a decade. 
And no one could figure out what type of calendar this was until a woman joined the team. Mm. <laughs> and mm. it seems silly, but that's what, that's what diversity means, right? Mm. They will answer a question that you didn't even know the question existed. Mm. You know, they will point out and say, this is, you know, because of this. And that's, that's what diversity means. It'll, it'll bring up something. It'll bring up knowledge that you almost didn't even think that you didn't have. <laughs> that you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and Elizabeth, like, thank you so much for spending time with me on the Women of Fintech podcast series. You've, um, I'm so passionate about this subject, but just getting to talk to you for this short amount of time, you've invigorated so much more in me. <laughs> I'm going to go out, I'm going to go across the fintech industry and say, come on, hire these women because they are out there. Um, and mm, let's fund women and let's promote yeah. women. Let's retain our women. Um, so thank you so much for reminding us of what we're actually doing here. And it's been an absolutely brilliant episode. So thank you for joining me on the Women of Fintech podcast series. Thank you so much for having me.